0: You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Airwaves again. I hope you're enjoying your grand final long weekend. Um, I know this is Melbourne and we should honour the state religion, but I think it's, it's just a bit weird to start a sermon by congratulating the demons. So I won't do that. I won't do that today. Hey, just before we jump into the the really the second part of a two-part series we're doing on the Lord's Prayer, I uh, just want to uh, acknowledge that, uh, unlike last week, we now have a bit of a roadmap forward from the state government in terms of um, getting back together and um, and that's something that your parish council, along with the Diocese of Melbourne is working through to figure out the best way forward for us as a church in terms of gathering together publicly. So that, that is an enormous undertaking and I just wanna let you know that's happening and please pray for us. Um, it's, a, it's a complex issue as you can imagine and we wanna navigate that as well as we can. So we're uh, leaning on the diocese, having um, guidelines, Provided to us from them as they are in consultation with the premier and the state government. So just keep us in your prayers, and and we'll keep you abreast of 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 how that's uh, coming together. Um, but for now, we're back in Matthew six, and we're looking at the this model prayer that Jesus gives us. Uh, and 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 last week you might remember we saw that the first part of this prayer that Jesus gives us um, contains three things that we ought to pray for God's glory that's where he begins three things to pray for God's glory so remember from the 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 New Testament uh, for everyone translation this is how it goes this is how you should pray our father in heaven may your name be honored may your kingdom come may your will be done as in heaven so on earth so three things that Jesus teaches us to pray for God's glory. And now in the second part of the prayer, we get three things that we ought to pray for ourselves. As, as children of that father, we have three things that we can daily come to him and pray for, request for our own good. And so we're going to get to that this morning. Those three things are prayers for provision, prayers for forgiveness and prayers for protection. So we'll start uh, where Karen, uh, actually not where Karen started because we went back to the beginning of the passage, but where we'll start this morning in verse 11. Jesus begins by saying, give us today our daily bread. So remember this prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gives us is given to us in the context of the sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, last week I told you, could also be known as how to live if God is your Father. That's the thread that runs all the way through. If God is your Father and the kingdom of God is among us, how do we live in this world? And so we come to this prayer and the question Jesus is answering is, how do you pray? What do you ask if God is your Father? If God is my daddy who knows me and loves me, if he's a father unlike any father that's ever lived, a father who intimately knows all of my needs, how do I pray? Well, if that's who my father is, then I can pray for everything I need. I can come to him at any time and lay before him any request I might have. But the purpose of Jesus naming this here as daily bread is because it's important that we understand that bread is symbolic in this prayer as it was in general in Jesus culture symbolic of basic needs bread is basic it was the, the, the the staple diet of everyone from the poorest person on earth to the richest bread would form the basis of their diet and so it's symbolic here of, of needs, not greeds. Needs, not greeds. So yes, come to the Father at any time and lay before him your needs, but resist the temptation to stack up a shopping list of items that are just born out of the greed that you have for self-gain. It's greed's. It's not needs <laughs> it's needs, not greeds we had a we have this prayer request form on our website, which you should use by the way uh and anyone who goes to our website can can submit a prayer request, and it's interesting they come in from all over the world uh earlier this month we had one come in uh I don't know where it was from exactly, but the the name given was obviously a a foreign name, and uh, it was written in broken english but it was basically a request that we pray that this person would be wealthy rich influential uh prosperous uh healthy wealthy and wise right just just this this request that we pray that they would be enriched and i pass on just about every prayer request that comes through i couldn't pass on that one because i don't think that's what god would want us to pray for to pray that i would be enriched that i would be wealthy beyond measure that i would be prosperous is not what jesus is talking about here he's talking about coming before a father who knows what you need and asking him to fulfill those needs it reinforces our place in the world in the universe i am not creator i am creation I am not self-sufficient, self-made. I am dependent utterly on God for everything, not just bread, but breath. We can't come before God asking for things that don't line up with and chime with the first part of the prayer. I can't pray, God, your, your name be great, and then pray that my name would be great. I can't pray that his kingdom would come and then ask him to build my kingdom. I can't pray for his will to be done and then pray that he would enable me to determine my own path. So this prayer hangs together, all of it, or there's none of it. It's a zero-sum game. So simply what we're doing here is coming before a daddy who knows us, loves us, knows exactly what we need and daily, you know this is a daily prayer because Jesus prays, give us today our daily bread, daily asking for his provision. So we move from provision to forgiveness in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, this is, there was this weird time in my life, soon after I became a Christian, where I was accumulating knowledge faster than I was accumulating wisdom. Uh, by the way, this is every 19-year-old man that has ever lived, but particularly in my case, And there was this weird time where i would go to church and in my church we would say the lord's prayer every every service and i would stop and quite in a pronounced way stop saying the prayer when it came to verse 12. i would not pray forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors because i was so convinced and 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 celebrating the fact that i had been forgiven by god i was justified i was forgiven past present and future and leading up to my conversion i had spent years going to church just so that god could forgive me so that he could wash all the sin off of me all of the dirt that i had accumulated through the week and and that's what i was doing and so i was so opposed to that idea of going to church just to get clean again I had gone way over to the other side where I don't need to even ask God for forgiveness anymore because He's already forgiven me. I'm justified. And so therefore, this prayer isn't for me. You might have even thought this way yourself. We had someone come into our church a few years ago who told me we should not pray this prayer in our church. It's an old covenant prayer. So when Jesus tells us to pray it, He was wrong. (laughs) Or it was for someone else. And what the mistake I was making, and the mistake that person was making, was just to misunderstand the metaphor that Jesus is using here. We get mixed up in these metaphors. Whenever we talk about our relationship with God, we always have to use metaphors. And the metaphor I was thinking of, and that guy was thinking of, was the metaphor of the law court. Justification. The idea that the truth that we have been declared righteous in Christ is a law court metaphor. And it's beautifully true. Because of what Jesus has done for you, dying in your place for your sin, you now stand before the judge and he pronounces you not guilty. Past, present, future, not guilty. And then we import that metaphor into what Jesus is talking about here and it just doesn't map. Because Jesus isn't speaking in, in law court metaphor here. He's speaking in family metaphor. He's saying, you are, as you pray this, you are speaking to a father, not a judge. Now, it's true that God is both father and judge. But as we address God as father, we need to come to terms with our relationship with him, our daily relationship with him. And in daily relation, familial relationship, there are offenses that need to be confessed and forgiven. Just think of your own family. Here's, here's an illustration, right? Of it. India and Judah are my kids. I'm their father. That will never change. That will never change. No matter what they do to me and what I do to them, it, that relationship will always exist. But the assurance that they are always my children doesn't mean that they never have to address wrongdoing. Right? That's just part of, and parcel of familial relationships hurt is done and needs to be healed we are sinned against and we sin against others and so the translation that happens when you when you start talking about the metaphor of god as father means that does god ever sin against me no but i sure as hell sin against him and the sin that i commit against him doesn't in danger, my place in his family. He will always be my father. But it does need to be addressed for the sake of the relationship. And so, yes, I am justified, past, present, future, for eternity. And yes, I need to chat with Daddy about the ways that I have hurt him. The, tresp- the ways I have trespassed, as other translations will put it. The debts that I owe. That ought to be a daily experience for me to come before God and ask, Father, Daddy, I know that you love me. I know that you've forgiven me. Please forgive me. I know that you've forgiven me. Please forgive me. Now. The second part of the verse is really the naughty one for us, all right? It's one thing to ask God to forgive us and be assured of his forgiveness. It's another thing to say, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us the debt we owe you, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, you and I have probably said this prayer a thousand times. The question is, did you mean that bit? Have you ever really meant that bit? As we also have forgiven our debtors. Are you in the daily habit of forgiving debt? That's Jesus' prescription for us. As he gives us this daily prayer as a model, he assumes that our daily habit as, as much a, a part of our daily habit as asking for bread or protection from evil, as much a part of our habit as asking for forgiveness will be the active forgiving of debts owed to us. Is that a part of your daily prayer life, to forgive debt? This could refer to an actual debt that somebody owes you, that you lent someone money and they can't pay it back. It could mean that. That's what the word means. But I think a deeper and actually more difficult um, meaning to the word is the debt that people owe us when they hurt us. And that's at the heart of what Jesus is talking about. See, whenever anyone hurts you, they take something from you. They rob you. When someone hurts you, they rob you. They rob you of happiness, or they rob you of trust, or they rob you of reputation. There's 10,000 things that they could rob you of when they hurt you. And so now they are in debt to you. They owe you. They are a debtor. And there's a couple of things that you can do with a debt that someone owes you. You can hold it over them and make them pay. You owe me and I'm going to put you on the hook until you pay. That's one thing we can do when people owe us. The other thing we can do is absorb it. you owe me I have every right to what you owe me but I'm going to absorb that debt and forgive it and that option is the option that Jesus is calling us to every single day and it costs us it is costly to live this way that Jesus is giving us to live it is costly to pray this way and to mean it it costs us Forgiving people costs us dearly. To forgive a debt that is owed to us, to forego the delicious experience of holding someone on the hook, costs us. There is a, a kind of quite a new therapeutic idea that we ought to forgive people for our own sake, That's actually better for us if we forgive them. And there is truth to that. We'll get to that in a second. But we cannot forget the fact that this costs us if we truly forgive someone. And it's not just about burying it or um, suppressing it or bottling it up. But actually, truly saying to that person, you no longer owe me. It costs us. It costs Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and embrace death on the cross that's what it cost him to forgive our debts and for us it won't cost that much but the cost will be very dear for some of us it will require a great deal of pain mark twain said this beautifully When he said that forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. That's beautiful and terrible. The beauty of forgiveness is sensed after the flower has been crushed, after the person who has been sinned against is crushed. Forgiveness will cost you. There's no two ways about it. Jesus knows that in inviting us to forgive those who, have in, who are indebted to us, he's asking us to embrace a cost. But he's been clear about this all the way through. He, he said, I think in Luke 14, look, you need to count the cost before you follow me. He's not into easy believism. He's not into cheap grace. He knows that to follow him will mean daily taking up your cross. It means dying to self. It means embracing the cost of forgiving debts, of absorbing debts. I think one of the reasons that we don't forgive people their debts Is because we believe if we don't forgive them then we can hold we can hold them in a prison they have sinned against us they have broken a law and so by withholding forgiveness i keep them in this prison and i can make them pay even if it's just by not talking to them not releasing them from it i can make them pay The irony is, and it's a tragic irony, is that actually by withholding forgiveness, very often uh, it's not that person who has sinned against us that is imprisoned, but it's actually us. That we are actually the ones bound by unforgiveness. That the prison is actually a prison of unforgiveness, and we're the ones that are imprisoned by it. And so, paradoxically, actually, as we forgive debt, we are, in turn, released. Now, we, we don't have time to go right into this, but it j- just bears saying that forgiving someone a debt is not the same as condoning what they've done. Uh, it's not the same as forgetting what they've done. It's not, the same as, um, it's not even the same as reconciling with them. That requires their participation. To reconcile means they come to you and you are on the same page seeking renewed relationship. Forgiveness isn't any of those things. It is simply releasing that person from the debt that they owe you. I say simply, and obviously it's not simple at all, but it's the active decision of the will To say, you no longer owe me, I release you from this debt. And as I say, the paradox is that in that we ourselves are released from the prison of unforgiveness, from bitterness. My sense is that there's probably a lot of us, myself included, who have just become very accustomed to the habit not of daily forgiving of debts, but of daily harboring them and holding them over others. And that has to stop here. That has to stop today. Jesus is going to tell us very, very clearly that has to stop today Paul picks up on this and you'll read it all throughout the New Testament because he knows that in the church from beginning to end there is going to be the need for daily forgiveness of debts And he knows that the model we have as Christians is one more profound than anyone else in the universe has. This is why, by the way, we are seeing in our society before our very eyes, as we move away from Christianity, we are seeing less forgiveness and more judgment. Cancel culture, right? I will pull up your tweets from 15 years ago and you will be cancelled. We will get you fired from your job and there is no room for repentance or forgiveness. That's the world we live in now. It is cold. And it's because the gospel has been lost. The gospel teaches us that as Jesus has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. Paul picks up on it as he re- writes to the Ephesian church, which is prone to division, prone to legalism. He says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. It grieves God. It makes him weep don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's the paradigm. Whenever you think, should I forgive this debt or should I hold it over them just a little longer, ask yourself, has God forgiven your debts? There's no room for debate on this. Jesus gets really explicit about this and we're going to get to it in verse 14 and 15, he kind of hangs a footnote on verse 12, and then uh, we'll get back to it. He, he's, he, he knows that he needs to give us some more on that because we'll probably refuse to obey him unless he makes it very explicit. So we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, verse 13, will go with his flow. He speaks of protection. So verse 13, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is just a very realistic admission from Jesus that your life is pretty much going to suck a lot of the time. Your life in this age, in this now and not yet, your life in the last days, the time between Jesus' first and second coming, it's going to be colored by, stained by trouble, trials, temptations, Every minute, actually, if we get really explicit about it, every minute of every day of your Christian life is going to be full of temptations. Full of temptations, either to ask for God's kingdom to come or to build your own kingdom. Full of temptations to obey God or disobey him, to believe him or to disbelieve him. Every second of every day, full of temptations, full of trials, full of trouble. And it's just, look, it's simple. Jesus is just saying, pray that God would rescue you from that. Pray that God would lead you in paths of righteousness, as Psalm 23 says. Pray that God would protect you with his rod and his staff, as Psalm 23 says. Lead us in paths of righteousness Save us from evil and the evil one. This is just an acknowledgement that in this world that we live in right now, there there is an evil realm and an evil one who is opposed to God's kingdom and God's kids. The evil realm and the evil one hate God's kingdom and God's kids. And so if that's true, well, of course, you're going to daily pray. Do not bring us into temptation, which can also be translated testing. So just do not bring us into trouble, trials, testing, temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Keep us from the evil one. Keep us close to Jesus. Every minute of every day, you have this choice before you to keep walking in Jesus' footsteps or to peel off and go your own way. And this prayer is a prayer that you would stay close. Stay close to Jesus. There's a whole theology behind, I mean, that, just that one verse, which has massive ramifications for us. We don't have time to go into it, but I'm a big believer in taking the Lord's Prayer and not just simply saying the words themselves, but to amplify it, to take each line as a kind of launch pad for our own prayers. So what would this look like? It would just look like, you know, early in the morning coming before the Lord and saying, Father, I know that today is going to be full of trouble, full of trials, full of temptations, full of tests. I know that there is an an evil one who hates me and wants to condemn me. I know that he is served by a bunch of dark forces that I can't see that are opposed to your kingdom and Posed to me as your child and so this day i pray that you would keep them from me and keep me on the right path that is the path of following jesus closely keep me from evil and from the evil one leave me lead me in paths of righteousness and keep me close to you protect me today protect me keep me close got to keep going all right i told you there was the footnote hanging on verse 12 we're going to come back to it here so verse 14 and 15 this is pretty devastating jesus says having said you know we ought to pray forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those indebted to us he says if you forgive others their offenses your heavenly father will forgive you as well But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. This is very stark. And there were several times this week where I just lay my head on my desk and tried to come to terms with how far I've fallen from this place. How easy I find it to accept the waterfall of God's gracious pardon while clenching my fist and refusing to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven me. It's pretty much exactly how Michael Green describes it as he comments on this on this passage in his his commentary on Matthew, he says it's not as though God petulantly says, I won't forgive you unless you forgive those who have wronged you. The fact is he cannot forgive us in those circumstances. He goes on. For if we are to open our hands to receive his gracious pardon, we cannot Keep our fists tightly clenched against those who have wronged us. God cannot and he will not pardon the impenitent, including those who nurse grievances against others. God cannot forgive those who recognize that they are the poor in spirit, that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they are in great need of forgiveness and when we withhold forgiveness from others that's what we're saying we do not recognize our own bankruptcy when we refuse to forgive the debts of others we do not recognize the enormous debt we owe to god when we refuse to forgive the debts of others it do, it does not compute Jesus illustrates this. I mean, he said it plainly to us and given it to us in this model prayer, but he makes it really explicit and illustrates it in very bold coloring later in this gospel, in Matthew's gospel, in in Matthew 18. He tells this story, and I'll, I'll, I'll read it for us. The context is that Peter has come to him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times, Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. It's just another way of saying, as my kids would say, infinity. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared, and he tells the story, can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Someone's done the maths on this, not me, all right? Someone else has calculated that in today's currency at $6 billion, with a B, $6 billion. Since he very obviously did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that, his, that he his wife, his children, and everything they had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. (laughs) Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii twelve thousand dollars not insignificant but not six billion that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii 12k he grabbed him started choking him and said pay what you owe At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him in prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. That's a devastating teaching. If you're like me and you, it feels almost impossible to release from debt people who have deeply hurt you. This is not an easy teaching. This is not a simple application, points one, two, and three, go and do likewise. This is costly and painful and absolutely required of every one of Jesus' disciples. Forgive us our debts. Forgive me the $6 billion as I also have forgiven the 12,000. Some of us have been hurt in ways that almost don't bear thinking about. And even then, our debt owed to us is insignificant, and I say that with the greatest amount of pastoral compassion, but it is insignificant compared to the debt that has already been forgiven us. And we simply cannot receive God's forgiveness and then turn around and refuse to give it to others. It can't happen. It won't happen. You know what, I I I just don't think the, the some other stuff I was gonna say, I just don't think it's um I just don't want it to detract from this point. This is I think this is what got it's hard to know without you guys in the room, but I think this is just what Jesus wants us to settle on right now. that today needs to be a day of jubilee. Today needs to be a day of where debts are forgiven. Today needs to be the day that we release people from the prison that we've been holding them in, which actually is a prison that holds us. The pain is great. And it's going to cost us a great deal to release the people who are in our debt. But that needs to happen today. We need to do this today. It would be a great outcome if out of these two sermons that you started praying the Lord's Prayer each day. Even better if you amplified it, use it as a model prayer for your own prayers and hit each one of these points as you go. Three three prayers for God's glory, three prayers for my needs. It would be great if we could weave that into our daily routine if you haven't already been doing that. But I think the major point that God wants us to get is this one. I think this is the, a, 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 a stronghold a stronghold of the enemy in our church, in our hearts, and God wants to liberate us through forgiveness. And, and let me say this too. Here's what I've found myself doing a lot when I've come to terms with this. I've, I've found myself saying this prayer, Lord, help me to forgive that person who has sinned against me. That's okay, but it's not the same thing as saying, Lord, I do forgive that person. That's where the power is. It's not an aspirational one day, maybe I'll get, you know, get to that. It's today. Today. Today I have come to terms with the the enormity of the debt that you have forgiven me, and therefore I simply cannot go on holding that relatively insignificant debt against that person. I can't. I can't and I won't. So today, Father in heaven, who loves me intimately and knows me better than I know myself, Father who is present In that situation where that person took from me, Father, I release them. Father, I forgive that debt. That's what we're being called to today, and then every day from now on. I don't know if this is maybe something that we can do in our discussion groups In fact, I'll just tell you, this is what you need to do in your discussion groups. Talk about this. Why is it so hard? How does having the paradigm of Jesus' forgiveness of us help us to see this in its right proportions? And... and do we feel the weight of what Jesus has said to us in this prayer, in the little footnote that comes after it, and in this parable that, he's, that he shared with Peter and with us? I don't know how to finish this thing. Um, I, think, I think what we should do is probably just do what Jesus told us to and pray. And I want to, I'm going to take a prayer from the, a prayer book for Australia, the the Anglican prayer book. This is um, one that you may be less familiar with because it's not a Sunday service prayer. It's a midweek prayer. So there's there's prayers for daily prayers for each morning and evening. And I think this is a prayer from the, from evening prayer. Um, But I'm going to invite you to say it with me. It's a prayer of confession and a declaration of forgiveness. So let us draw near to God with sincerity and confidence and pray together. You, you pray it in your home as we pray together. God of all mercy, we humbly admit that we need your help. We have wandered from your way. We have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and have failed to do what is right. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us. Wipe out our sins, forgive us our debt, and teach us to forgive others. Bring forth in us the fruit of your Spirit, that we may live the new life to your glory. This we ask in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Let me declare the truth of the Gospel. God desires that none should perish, but that all should turn to Christ and live In response to his call, we acknowledge our debts. God pardons the debts of those who humbly repent, truly believe the gospel, and therefore forgive those who are indebted to them. Therefore, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen.